This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Kia ora and welcome to Creatively Wired. This broadcast is on Free FM 89.0 and is also available wherever podcasts are found. Creatively Wired is a moment in time where we chat with artists about what makes them tick. We will explore the way they work, what they are thinking about, and the many varied nuances of the creative process. Make yourself comfortable and let's have a chat with some awesome people who are creatively wired. Welcome back, everyone. This is another episode of Creatively Wired. I'm here, as always, with Jeremy Mail, and today we're very happy to be joined by Hamilton-based photographer Mark Hamilton, who um, is sitting with us in our studio. Hey, Mark. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Mark is a, uh, just telling us how he's a very busy man, so we feel very lucky to have him on lots of levels. Well, by by way of introduction, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what your photography practice entails? Um, myself, um, in a previous life, I started off as an electrician. I left school and got a trade. And then in my mid-20s, did my first kind of trip and bought my first camera. Fell in love with photography. And then kind of in my mid-30s, decided that, well even before my mid-30s really, I decided that that um, being an electrician or working in that field just kind of wasn't what I wanted to do because at 15 when I got the job originally, you know, you just wanted to leave school and earn money. So kind of str- struggled with the, with the idea of maybe leaving the day job and, and trying to become a photographer. And... Um, had a few people kind of close to me that, well, not a few people, had two people close to me that passed away early. And um, that was kind of a catalyst for me to decide that, you know, life's short, you just got to do what you want to do and, and, and give it a go. So I ended up giving up my day job in my late 30s and went and studied media arts, did a media arts degree at Wintech, mm. majoring in photography. Graduated when I was 40 and then decided to make a go of it as a photographer and um, spent my first five years unemployed and broke um, but kind of did things like dig drains, paint roofs, whatever because I could have so easily have gone back to my old job and, you know, fallen back into that and the four years would have been a waste. So just persevered and persevered, and then I got a break um, with the Waikato Museum. They commissioned me to do um, the photography for the um, Somali show they had there in 2005 um, called Rare View, which was basically a photographic exhibition on the Somali community and refugee community in Hamilton. So that was kind of my break. And then um, from there I just had a couple of fortunate meetings with um, creative directors around town who kind of had heard of me but didn't know who I was and kind of because I was always too scared to go to an ad agency or, or an agency and take in my portfolio because, you know, that lack of self-belief and all that sort of stuff, my work's not good enough or wow, wow, you know. 
and um, ended up having a couple of interviews or chats over coffee and showed my portfolio and and a recurring theme was like well, where have you been you know never never heard of you and that was purely because I didn't put myself out there. And, um, and you're, you're, you're waiting by the phone. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for you to ring, man. Come on. And, um, and then, yeah, and then I started getting work that way and it just kind of snowballed and snowballed to the point where I'm now in year 20. Mm, wow. Working for myself. So not quite sure how that happened. Mm. But, um, yeah, so I kind of consider myself really lucky, really. Yeah, well... Maybe a bit more than luck, maybe. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe more than some, lucky. Some but, skill you know, and talent and yeah, perseverance. And yeah, 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 you know, it's kind of, um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit weird because I talk, I often talk, say to Robbie, my partner, I'd say, you know, like, if my work was to fall over tomorrow, you know, for whatever reason, after 20 years, I'd still feel like, a, like I hadn't succeeded, you know what I mean? It's just, it's kind of a weird position to be in. I don't know how I got here, really. It's kind of, it's, because it's such a hard industry to work in. Mm. And to be able to to make a living from and work at every day, mm. and you know, I kind of pinch myself to think that well, here I am in year twenty. Mm. You know, so so how do you define success then? If you think twenty years working in a as a photographer, well, because I don't think of my work as work. Like I just do something that I love doing. So it's not work for me. So that for me is success. You know, like I probably could have made more money as an electrician or in that trade, probably. I don't know. But, you know, to be able to get up in the morning and go to work without it being like work, to me, is success. You know, it's just... And how did I manage to do that when so many people haven't been able to do that? Mm. So, you know... Yeah. So that's that still surprises me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a recurring theme I hear in people who tell that similar story is it's at some point they've taken a big chance you know I think yeah. that because if you hadn't taken that chance then you, you know you probably would still be being an electrician yeah, or something else yeah because when I when I graduated from Wintech you know like I, I I knew I had no clients I had no client base I didn't know anybody in the industry and photographers a weird bunch anyway because they don't tend to talk to each other because you know we're all a threat or something I don't know but <laughs> but you know and it was so hard um, like those first five years, there were so many times I thought, oh, this is just too hard, it's never going to work, I'm just going to give it up. And um, But I loved taking photographs so much. I just It's just what I wanted to do. You know? mm. So so I did, like I said, you know, I dug drains, I painted roofs, I did anything to get money because I, although I didn't have any clients, I still photographed all the time, just I did my own thing because I just wanted to be a photographer. Mm. So I did... I. I photographed, which, you know, just increased my skill base anyway. It made me better, a better photographer for doing it all the time. And you loved but, it anyway, right? And I loved so, it. And mm. it's just what I wanted to do. So I just per persevered and I did anything to make some money to, back then, buy film and develop my film and do my own stuff, thinking one day something will hopefully happen. Mm. And then one day it did. So were you taking... At that stage, was it clear to you, like, this is, I'm taking art photography or I'm building up a, a commercial 
um, portfolio or was it a bit of everything? It was kind of a bit of everything. Like I always just wanted to photograph whatever it was that I was photographing at the time and somehow that would just morph into the work that I would do. Although they're always two completely different things, but to me they kind of just hit, they blurred one into the other. Mm. It wasn't a distinct thing from my own work and commercial work. That's not how I kind of saw it. I just, to me it was just taking photographs and making images. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of naively kind of thought, well, I just want to take photographs, so I'll just take photographs, and then one will be the same as the other. And I think to a degree, and I always find it hard to define my style. People say I have a style, but I often don't know what that style is. I kind of know what I like, mm. but I always struggle when people say, oh, we wanted you to do this because we like your style. I'm going... Great, I hope I kind of do it the way you, <laughs> you want me to because what's my style? Um, but, yeah, so I just always thought, like, you know, there's obviously a, a clear difference between your own art practice and a commercial, the commercial context, but I always just find that taking images for me is taking an image, whether it's commercial or, you know, I have the same, same kind of process or the way I go about doing things. So when you were out taking the photos in those five years just out of the joy of taking photos, primarily, like, landscape or...? Um, just kind of, yeah, landscape, people, just kind of anything. Like, and to a degree, I still do it today. I just... I have, I have occasional projects and, and ideas, that, photographs that are based around an idea, but often I'm just drawn to things that say something to me, you know, like might either evoke a memory or... Um, make you feel a particular way that resonates with the type of imagery that I like. So often my work can be quite, you know, spontaneous. You know, spontaneous. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I can just think recently, just after lockdown, I was coming home and was coming through Rangariri and it was a really foggy, bleak day and there was just a set of rugby goalposts in a, in a field that was overgrown. Obviously, it hadn't been used for years and years, but it just kind of made me think of the rugby grounds when I was a kid in winter, you know? like, And there was just a silence about it that just evoked a memory, so I just stopped and, stopped and took that image because... And that's often how I quite like to work. It's just these kind of random things that speak to me at the moment at a particular time that I might come across a sea that that says something to me either visually or through memory or something that makes me want to capture it. So it's quite intuitive. And, and yeah. There, there seems to be a real sense of, like, a presence of thought, like a, a, a mind... Like, you're obviously very observant of your surroundings to... Like, most people, if they're driving home, are just kind of oblivious to where yeah. they are. Yeah. And, and a mind... Like, they get home and don't realise that they got there. Yeah. But you're... Yep. Seeing a thing, sparking a memory, yep. stopping the car, getting out, taking the photo. There, there is a kind of connection to the now. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I kind of love about photography. I think it just makes you, well, not even, not just photography, but, you know, lots of art forms. But for me, photography is just, you know, becomes so much more observant and aware of what's around me and often things that people would overlook. You know, and, and I don't know whether a lot of these sort of thing, and it, well, a lot of these sort of things are just often 
come to me just through memory or or experiences and stuff that I've had in the past, which kind of, and I don't know, <laughs> I don't know whether it's because I'm getting older or whatever, you know, you kind of tend to look backwards a little bit, maybe I don't know, right. but yeah, I find I find um, you know scenes will just pop up in front of me that will evoke some sort of response. So mm. it's those sort of things that I try and capture. Mm. Yeah. Do you think being a photographer? leads you to being more observant or do you think you are a photographer because you're a naturally observant person? Um, probably a bit of both. Like, I think I've always been naturally observant mm. but I think working as a photographer you kind of hone that skill as well. Mm. Well, maybe not hone it but, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a little bit hard to describe. You know, I know that, um, you know, I, I tend to just notice small details. Mm. You know, and I, I, those details I often notice, I think of in photographic terms as well. I kind of like see a scene, but I see it compositionally or, or whatever. You know, I kind of, I have, a, I, have an, I have an image in my mind's eye that may be slightly different to the scene that's in front of me, but it's kind of related to the, to the experience or the memory or whatever. Right, yeah. 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 And, and is it also, the way you're describing it, is it sort of seeing a scene like that, that rugby post? field in the mist yeah. and then you're in your imagination bringing it into a photography yeah. world and seeing what that could be as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, because I knew that, just talking about the rugby post one, you know, I just drove past it and it immediately it reminded me of something that happened in my childhood or evoked a memory of my childhood. So I turned around and went back and stopped and then I just looked at it and kind of, you know, thought about that memory and and so that kind of, for, you know, kind of um, informed the way I photographed it as well, you know. So I wanted it to be slightly out of focus because it was a hazy memory or whatever. And I wanted it to be slightly dark because it was a long time ago. And, and I don't know whether it was a happy memory or, or what sort of memory it was, but there was a silence to this field that was really interesting. And I wanted to kind of to portray that and in the way that I did. So, yeah, and it was just really weird. I just drove past it in a split second and just caught it and it immediately just evoked that mm. kind of response. And so when you, are you, because you've got that really clear image in your mind, when you go to take that photo, is it like one or two shots and you've got it or are you taking like 50 and finding the best version of it? Like, I usually... That particular shot, there would have been probably a dozen, 15 different shots of that image. But I knew straight away the type of image I wanted. So I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be darker. I wanted it to be moody and kind of evocative. Um, so I kind of knew the image in my mind that I wanted to make. And, but then, and, and around that it was just compositional elements. What's it like a little bit lower? What's it like a little bit higher to the left, to the right, in the centre, whatever. So, yeah. So it was kind of having, knowing what the image I, was to look like, but compositionally it's just working around that visual idea. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to see these sorts of images. I, I, there's some on your website that people can look up. Um, and, you know, that's it's a, a nice counterpoint to the what we often think of in terms of New Zealand landscape captured through photography as well. Mm -hmm. Because, as you say, it is dark and moody, and I, I can actually relate to this a lot as well. I think a, a lot of us have seen these scenes, but we might 
non-photographer might not necessarily sort of clock it as something that's, you know, that that is really sort of makes a powerful photo. We we often think of you know golden coastlines and um, you know yeah, forest scenes and things so, like that when we think about yeah. So that's what yeah. So I, that's why I don't like to kind of think of it as a landscape photograph, right? You know, because it's more than that to me than a landscape photograph. Um, and to me, it's a bit the same. To me, a, a landscape landscape photography just brings up these connotations of chocolate box images and sunsets and yeah. sunrises and, and pretty pictures that don't say anything. Yeah. You know, so I kind of try to remove it from saying, well, it's a landscape photograph. Yeah. So essentially it's a landscape photograph, but generally any, or any photograph I take is usually a response to a feeling or a memory or, or something. You know, the, there's, something, there's something in that scene that's made me stop. Mm. Um, and not purely for, from, a, from the aesthetic of it being a pretty scene. Yeah. A pretty scene doesn't, to me, doesn't say anything to me. Yeah. You know, so hopefully, like, for me, like, if, if I come across something like the, the goalposts, you know, if, if a scene doesn't say anything to me, I can't expect my photograph to say any, anything to anybody else. Sure, yeah. Which is why I don't kind of like a, a, you know, a pretty landscape. And those pretty scenes are <coughs> almost, well, I think often striving to, to remove people from it entirely and the sort of idea of untouched paradise or something, mm. whereas your scenes are very much, as, as far as I read them anyway, they're about how these altered landscapes kind of meet humans, and by, yeah. both in the actual present of, you know, maybe some discarded items or a worn sort of, you know, an overgrown path or something, but yeah. also, as you're saying, how they meet us in our yeah. sort of memory it, spaces as it's, well. It's interesting some of the responses I have to my work, particularly from um, um, people I know and family, you know, like Robbie's sister came to stay one day and there's some photos, photos on the wall, images I've got on the wall at home, and she goes, Mark, I think there's something you need to be telling people. These are a bit dark. <laughs> it's like, I think there's something wrong with me or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? Don't, don't need to fear the darkness. No, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of weird because I've always been, you know, growing up as a kid, I always read horror, horror stories and went to scary movies and, you know, even my mum and dad thought I was kind of weird because of the stuff I used to read and watch, you know. But I always find the kind of darker images kind of tend to be more evocative and say more than happy smiley pictures. Mm. For me, anyway. Yeah, yeah. and hold a, uh, to me, hold their own kind of beauty as well. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. people just tend to overlook it. Yeah. Or, you know, dismiss it. So there's, there's something really interesting about your connection with people and, and or the memory of people. And I think that's really um, shown in the, the lockdown photos like that yep. what was what was the kind of idea behind those other than just lockdown well it's, it was kind of come come early on um again it was just been that that kind of awareness that you know i think as a photographer i'm lucky to have and you know i'd spent more time at home than i had in ages and and I just noticed things at home that I'd kind of overlooked and or hadn't really noticed noticed before. So I kind of then made an effort to kind of see what else was around that I kind of hadn't really 
noticed or looked at or seen before. So I came, kind of became more aware around that. And then I was just outside one day, and we live out in the country in North Waikato, so it's quiet anyway. But this particular day, there was just no sound, because our, our place, the, the flight path to Auckland, Wellington, goes over our house, so there's generally always a plane going overhead, you know. But this day, there was just, there was no, there were no planes. There were, it's, and with the wind is in the right direction, we can often hear the, the traffic from the expressway. So there was no traffic, there were no planes, there were no tractors. It was just quiet, like, like more quiet than what it normally was at home. And it just, and that, that silence in itself evoked all these kind of ideas of memory. And, and, and so that kind of, that's when I started photographing the landscapes as well. Because initially I started off just photographing around home, you know, light falling on a wall or an object or whatever. But then the silence just took me out into the landscape and that's when I started doing the, the, the landscape shots, just trying to capture that quiet that I, that I found really interesting. Mm. Yeah, It's quite interesting to think about capturing a sonic quality visually. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, it's... It's and I don't know whether I did it for me. I did it successfully because it, it did something for me. So, and that's why I took the photographs. It was for me. So, it totally worked for me. But whether the same whether people get the same reaction, I don't know. But yeah, I just found the images had an amazing quietness, stillness yeah, to them. Real amazing sense of stillness. Yeah. So yeah, it was just that silence. It was just. It was. It was comforting and disturbing at the same time, mm. a little bit. Yeah. I think that was what a lot of people's lockdown was like. <laughs> yeah. You know, on yeah. one hand, the sort of, yeah. I think a lot of people I talked to, and, you know, we're obviously a lot more fortunate in New Zealand than a lot of places, but they relished the chance to kind of stop and, and rest, but there wasn't a real eeriness about it. Yeah. You know, for yeah. most of it, we didn't know whether this thing was going to be contained or what it meant for us. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, that eeriness yeah. to me definitely... Seems appropriate. Yeah, I think time. I think my favourite image from the lockdown was the maize field, which I came across after I'd been photographing down at the river and coming back, and and um, I was driving back home and I came across this big maize field, and so I jumped out of the car and just wandered through this maze, and again it was just foggy and it was just still and it was just quiet and it was oh, it was just amazing and. And so I, I spent some time photographing that, and I thought, I've got to go back the next morning if there's fog and just kind of work on this properly. And I got back there the next day, and the whole field had just been cut. So the first day it was full maze, and then the next day it had just been it would, it had been cut to the ground. And it was the the day I went back when it was cut to the ground, it was just so much nicer. It was just it was as creepy as hell. I just had this. I just had this really for me. I I just had this. I don't know, I don't know why, but it just evoked this memory of civil war photography. I don't know why. I thought all, all I needed was a couple of dead soldiers in the foreground, and it would have just been Gettysburg. And it's not even cornfields in Gettysburg. Is it? I don't know. It's just, but it was just the weirdest thing. I just get that's what's what it was what it felt like to me. Mm, you know, it mm. was just, and I don't know where that comes from. It's just weird. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was just it was just incredible. I loved it. So that was probably my favourite. Mm. image from the whole series probably but it's kind of weird how those 
those sorts of places because it's just it's just a cornfield on the corner of Glen Murray Road, you know, but it just evoked this incredible feeling and, and kind of image in my head, you know, of what I wanted to capture. Mm. And again, I think that, yeah, that, you know, that must be you seeing that and then being able to translate that into photography yeah. in, in a way that I'm sure I wouldn't capture with my smartphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that, I was quite proud of that picture, really. Yeah. Yeah. And was there a, a kind of, um, a, a seeing what you could do within those limitations as well during that lockdown period. It seems like, you know, you might not normally head down to your local cornfield, particularly as a, as a busy guy, or yeah. spend time photographing um, around the house. Yeah, certainly not around the house. Maybe the cornfield thing would happen at another time. But the thing that was really good about the lockdown was that all my kit was in my studio in Hamilton. And so from a studio to home is a 40-minute 45, 50 minute drive. So I couldn't travel that far to go and get my gear. So all I had with me was one little small mirrorless camera and a lens. So I was restricted to using just one camera format, one lens. And then, and so just that restriction of just having that piece of kit and nothing else to, to use to make, to make this series of work was kind of liberating. Yeah, it's like, you know, one camera and one lens, mm. and then working, just working within those limitations was great. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. seeing what you can get out of that yeah. one. Yeah, and yeah. instead of, you know, normally having lens selections and camera selections and lights and all that sort of stuff, you were just down to one camera and one lens. It was great. Mm. Yeah. Is it easy to kind of get sucked into that, like, because photography there's constant developments in technology and, and the body. Is it easy to kind of get stuck into that, oh, I need the new one to get the new thing, or is it...? Yeah, yeah, it is, and and I'm lucky that I don't kind of suffer that bug, really. And, um, you know, I, I just... I've got a I've got a, an intern working with... A Winter graduate working with me at the moment, and we've been having this kind of conversation because he's kind of hung up on, you know, he's got to get this, like a film camera or whatever film camera, and he's got to use this camera and, you know, oh, what did that person take that in? You know, what's he using? I says, I says who cares about the camera? Just show me the picture. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's so, and YouTube, YouTube photographers are just so annoying, you know, it's just, it's just all about gear and, you know, no that content. I think with one of the things, like people talk about you having a style, I think that style is probably your eye and your your ability to kind of imagine an image regardless of the technology because you can see across the images. Yeah. It doesn't, whether you were stuck with one camera and one lens or you have all of the technology available, you're still taking the same kind of yeah. image. Yeah. Yeah, so so you're right. Yeah, so technology doesn't matter because essentially a camera is a camera is a camera. Mm. It's a light type box, you know, and um, it's what you do with that light type box. And uh, you know, it's the six inches behind the camera that kind of form the image. Mm. Doesn't matter whether you got a A button, B button, or C button or whatever. You know, that's totally irrelevant. You know, you can have the best camera in the world and make the worst image in the world, or you can have the worst camera in the world and make the best image in the world, you know? It's like how you use it. It's just a, it's just a tool. 
Mm. You know, I mean, I, I sometimes wonder if things because I've encountered this in, across other art forms as well. You know, someone, you know, maybe I, I can't paint yet because I have to save up and get this brand of paint before that's going to be any good or whatever. I wonder if sometimes that's sort of a way that people are able to sort of um, almost like an excuse, like rather than just mucking in and getting going, they, mm. they sort of project the limitation onto the gear rather than the limitation onto where they're at and whatever is blocking them from making stuff. I yeah, think, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the problem is today there's just so much choice. There's too much choice. Mm. You know, back when I started it was a camera with some film, you know, and like your film stocks were... I don't know, a dozen or so maybe, probably more, but but today there's just, you know, there's just far too much choice. And it just takes away from the, I think it almost takes away from the fun of image making, really. Yeah. You know? Do you yeah. still have your first camera? No. No, I don't. I've still got my last film camera, but I was really lucky enough to get a, um, get a, a twin lens Rolleiflex from a friend in Europe who who'd got it through an estate. Someone in his apartment had died and he had this twin lens, twin lens rolly flex and they're like really sought after cameras. And he was putting it up for sale on Facebook. And I says, dude, he says, how much you want for that? And I'll pay it. Oh, you know, I'll take it off your hands. He just gave it to me. Hmm. <laughs> so nice. So nice. But... Um, but no, I don't, ha I don't, have my, don't have my first camera. I can still remember it. But, um, but I think, you know, like... I've got toy cameras that are 20 bucks, you know, that are totally plastic, plastic lens, you know, just a plastic lens. No control, you just point and make images. And so it, technology is so removed from those sorts of cameras. It's like that in itself is liberating because there's nothing you can do to affect the image other than how you compose it. You know, mm. you've got no control over exposure or whatever. So it's purely, it's almost, it's almost, a representation of what you see in your mind because you can't, you know, it's just bring it to your eye and this is what I see. And that that sort of image making is really, I love it. It's just kind of, you know, you just, it's so spontaneous. You're just walking around with a plastic camera that has no controls. And so you're, you're going on purely on things that, A, attract you. And then, and then the results you get out at the end, you've got, you know, is, has light leaks and has all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, and it's, the imagery is just ugh, mm. beautiful. Eh? And and it, I guess that forces you to be completely spontaneous because you can't be mucking yep. around going, what yeah. picture do I need? Or yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. Should I overexpose or? this a little bit or underexpose this a little bit? You just got to go click, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, that's, and that's your juice. But, you know, they just, they, and it's, it's a Holger, a Holger, you don't know you heard of Holger cameras, so... They're made in China and often fairground prizes and stuff, you know. <laughs> and um, you put, they take medium format film, which is real nice. And, you know, the film usually doesn't wind on properly. And, and I always used to, put, you know, deliberately kind of load it loose and then pull it out and squeeze it and let light in. And you get all these cool light leaks and just, oh, yeah, beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Cool. yeah. So, so maybe on the other end of the spectrum of the work you do from that um, is the, the fabric series. Ah, uh, yep. Um, that, that, in terms of what we've been talking about so far, you've been, you know, that spontaneous um, image ma making where you might notice something. This, the fabric series seems much more composed and created. It's also yep. a collaboration. Yep, so the fabric work is a collaboration with Jamie Dryden from Fabric Here. And, um, 
and he he makes these hair sculptures, hair creations. I don't know what the word you could use for those, but he collects hair off the salon floor, which in itself sounds you know, <laughs> pretty gross. Pr- pretty gross, really. <laughs> and he collects hair off the salon floor, and then he'll bleach it and colour it, and 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 and, uh, and then he'll mould these creations around wire and he'll make hair pieces and masks and and then he'll he'll either find random people off the street that he'll think will look good wearing these things and then we bring them into the studio and and we do the full hair and makeup thing and and so yeah they're really kind of far from spontaneous they're mm. they're kind of directed and and so he essentially it's the collaboration is great because he does the he makes the hair sculptures and then, and then it's up to me to photograph them how I want to photograph them. Um, I'll always ask for his input because you know he knows how they how they should sit and all this sort of stuff. But we both, you know, like he gives me total freedom to photograph how I want them to. Be. And it's photographing is just about showing off the pieces, really. Mm. But yeah, they're they're you know kind of really well constructed in the studio and lit and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, completely the opposite to all that other stuff. Mm. But the results are just. Fantastic. So we've got a show at the Meteor, 2nd of November. No, mm-hmm. 1st of November. So it's called 13. So the collaboration with Fabric is between um, Jamie, myself, and Alan Deer from Area Design. So Alan does all of Fabric's graphic design. Mm-hmm. So the three of us have been working together for the last 13 years. Well, Jamie's been in business 13 years. I've been working with Jamie for about 10. And um, so it's just a celebration of that collaboration. Mm. So that'll be cool. So there'll be, so Jamie's been in business thirteen years. The the show's called Thirteen, and there'll be thirteen images up, up in the meteor for a month. Mm. So it's from the first of November. So th- so does Alan bring in graphic design to those images, or is he creating support material for the show? Um, he so Alan's designed the catalogue for the show, the right. posters and all that sort of stuff. And Alan Alan is a collaboration with Jamie. Will do all his graphic design and his posters and his marketing material and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But Alan in himself has his own distinct style. Mm, you know, absolutely. So, so, yeah, so it's the three of us, so it kind of works cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're approaching portraits, what are you specifically kind of thinking about? Because I know you do a lot of portrait work. Yeah, it's particularly theatre stuff. Like, I, I really like I really like the theatre stuff. Um so aside from images for the program, I'll generally, depending on the show, we'll try and get backstage and shoot character portraits. And that's purely for me kind of... I just like that whole theatrical aspect of it, the kind of, um, you know, the removal of kind of these people from their normal lives being dressed up, playing someone else, kind of... It's really interesting to me. And... Um, and often the show will dictate how that's photographed. So, like, when I did the Les Mis portraits backstage, I kind of wanted that, of that of that era, I just kind of wanted that Dutch masters feel, you know, those kind of Rembrandt-y kind of Vermeer kind of, kind of look to the images. So it's trying to kind of... It's, it's challenging myself in a way... Um, to come up with a particular style that will work with the theme of a of a show. So, like, We Will Rock You, that was a couple of years ago, that was shot completely different, you know, 
so Les Mis was totally low key, a low key approach to photography, whereas the We Will Rock You was so glam and kind of you know ultra modern that became a high key approach to photography. So you know it's kind of trying to make images that kind of work with the theme of the show. But yeah, I just I just love the whole idea of people just dressing up and becoming someone someone else for a couple of weeks. It's cool. So just capturing that. Yeah. Mm. And it's just fun just working with those people. Yeah. Because um, outside of that and still in the line with uh, the portraits, you've done a series connected to the music of Bob Dylan? Yeah. So I did a series called Fog and Amphetamine. And that was that – was, so I've been a Bob Dylan fan since I was 14, so 20 years now. Um, Maybe a little bit more than 20 years. But so I've been a big Bob Dylan fan. And then I just had this idea. I'd seen a, I'd seen a movie um, based around Bob Dylan called um, um, I'm Not There by Todd. can't remember. And there was, a scene in, there was a scene in the movie where Richard Gere plays Billy the Kid. And... Um, Bob Dylan did an album in the early 70s called Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, a soundtrack to the movie. And there's a scene where, there's a funeral scene where all the village people are going to this band rotunda and Calexico are the band and they're up on stage and they're playing this tune called Going to Acapulco. And the band is dressed in all this kind of Civil War kind of era clothing and there's a young girl in a coffin stood upright on the stage and the band the band is playing this mournful kind of song. And then all these village people are coming to this funeral and they're all dressed up. There's 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 a young boy with a marine um, a US Marine helmet on and, and war fatigues and stuff and then there's another girl dressed painted in an American flag and another girl covered in flowers from head to toe and just this really weird imagery and and then randomly wandering through this crowd was a, a giraffe. It was just kind of out there and it kind of got me, that scene in particular got me thinking about you know, all and you could see that these people were like all these figures drawn out of Dylan songs, and I thought, well, that would be kind of a cool idea, just kind of you know my own interpretation of what I think these people are in Bob Dylan songs. So, I just scoured through Dylan songs and found characters that I thought would be cool to cool to photograph, and just did my own interpretation on on those. So, yeah, that was really cool. Yep, yep. And so you creatively directed the whole. That was yes, a, a Mark Hamilton. Yeah, from start to finish. Yeah, so then I just found people that I thought would work as characters, and then I just kind of thought about costuming and and location. They were all shot on different in different locations, outside and inside, and um, and yeah, so that that was about a three or four year project, I suppose. Finally got that that up, and then I managed to hang it up at Dylan played at Claudelands in two thousand and. Fourteen, I think it was, and I used to do a bit of work for Claudin's Arena, and I, I knew the guy that ran back of house. So I said, "Dude, can I put these pictures up in his dressing room?" He said, "Hell yeah!" And he ended up not using a dressing room, so he ended up putting them along the corridor outside the green room because I knew they'd be in the green room. So, and um, 
And then I said to Mike after the show, they were up for a couple of weeks. There was, I think there was 12 along the corridor that I'd had printed big and framed for old Bob to have a look at. And um, I said to Mike after a couple of weeks, I said, oh, so do you reckon he saw them? And he said, yeah, man. He said, I came out of my office and he was standing in the corridor looking at them. <laughs> and I went, cool. <laughs> and then Robbie, my partner, said to me, like, do you think he was just saying that? <laughs> and I went, oh, come on, that's like telling the kids Santa Claus doesn't exist. Man, that was so mean. <laughs> Just put that seed of doubt, you know. <laughs> Keep, keeping you grounded, eh? Yeah, keeping me grounded, you know. Not even a second to, to, to relish yeah. that moment. Yeah, just thinking that Bob had seen this series, yeah. <laughs> so now I'll always wonder. But yeah, so that was okay. So, yeah, but so yeah, that was cool. That was, yeah, was a highlight. Mm. Yeah. No, I love that whole process that you, you know, that goes so much beyond seeing something and taking a photograph. It's, you know, it's yeah. the whole, yeah, um, yeah, all those steps through. There's actually a lot in yeah. that, and then the, yeah, and that just, showing them to Bob. As yeah, well. and that was just started off just as again just something to do for me, you know. And we ended up doing a two night show at the Arts Festival Gardens Festival. And we had them on at the Modernist Garden, and we had a Dylan tribute band playing, and a poet, and and then we had these big kind of um, um, backlit images around around the garden and stuff. It was just beautiful, man. It was fabulous. Yeah. In your kind of, so you're a full time photographer. That's that's the work that you're doing. Yeah. Do you sort of specifically set aside, this is a chunk of time that I'm going to work on projects for me, and this is my my creative safe zone, and then everything else is up for grabs? <laughs> or is it a bit more flexible than that? Yeah, I do, but I don't. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, so that was that was a result of lockdown. Like, after lockdown, I'd realised that, you know, doing stuff purely for yourself was so beneficial, you know. And I thought, you know, like it really made me analyse this whole work-life balance thing with, with, with work and doing your own thing. So I had this idea that I was just going to, you know, set time aside just purely for myself. Because at the end of the day, I can do that. And, um, and what are we, what, four months out of lockdown now? And pff, it's totally out the window. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of like you get so busy. Or, and, but even when you're not busy, because when you're working as a freelancer, you know, you, if, you know, if I say, well, I'm going to work, spend every Friday just doing my own thing. If someone comes to you as a freelancer and says, I've got a job and it needs to be done on Friday, I just feel like you're just not in a position to say, well, no, yeah. you know. As much as I probably could do, you know, it's just maybe it's my work ethic. I don't know. Didn't know I had one, but um, um, but yeah, I just feel as a as a freelancer, you know, you just you, you just can't because it's. I think having been in the industry so long and realizing how lucky I am to be in it, and and how hard it is to get into, that I shouldn't be so precious to think. Well, well I can just do whatever I want, you know. And so, like, I'm really grateful for the work that I get and I never take it for granted so I feel that if someone comes to me and I'm available to do the work I'm not in a position to say well no well that's you know, how yeah. I, that's how I feel yeah but clearly you managed to get your own work 
done, right? You've got a yep. as you say, you've got a show opening on first November. Yeah. Um, so that's more about sort of fitting it in around whatever else is happening, right? So if you've yep. got a, you know, if yeah. So it's about priorities, I guess, really. But you know, obviously, our priority the priorities go towards my clients first. You know, I've got to deliver work. If they've given me work, I've got to deliver that work. So it's always got to fit around that. But you know, I think you know, if you want to do it, you just make it happen. Hmm. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing about your work is that there's there's a, a block of it that's you doing the thing that you do, then there's a block of it that's work for clients. Yep. It still is kind of artistic, but is also work for hire, and it's this kind of middle ground. Yep. And then there's the stuff on the other total under other end of the spectrum, which is you're there to take the corporate images and yep. do the thing. Yeah. How much of the work is that? That's a that's a fair chunk. You know, and but uh, and that's a fair chunk, and that's fine because that pays the bills, and that's the yeah. bread and butter. So, and that's what I'm grateful for. Yeah. You know, that you know, if I didn't have that, then I wouldn't have the money or you know the ability to then, you know, go on holiday and take photographs and stuff. So make images and stuff. So yeah, so that's a big part of it. But that's also what enables me to do my own thing as well. So yeah, it's, you know. You, is what it is, and that's fine, you know. And at the end of the day, you know, like I recently did a job, and and um, to be fair, it wasn't the most exciting job in the world. But then I just kind of tell myself, you know, like wouldn't want to be doing anything else, yeah. you know. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's I'm photographing, I'm working for myself, and like I said, my work is not a job. It's God, Robbie will kill me for saying this, but <laughs> it's a lifestyle. You know, like poor Robbie, she works in finance and she works so hard. And I work hard, but just not the same sort of hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what does what does an average day for you look like? Like, are you in, you start early or you? Um, well, I don't know whether I have an average day because every day is kind of different. Um, but a day always starts with coffee. Coffee, a coffee, a coffee at nine. Usually at Dave's at SL Twenty Eight. You know, just talking music and rubbish and stuff. And um, but you know, no. And I think that's what I love about my job. No two days are generally the same. Um, you know, some weeks I can be have so much on I don't know which way's up, and then the next week I can kind of be twiddling my thumbs a little bit. You know, um, so. A lot of time spent behind the computer now. Like when I first started working, everything was film. So you'd do a shoot, you'd have you'd shoot Polaroids first to check your lighting and your exposure. So it was like, and that was the kind of interesting thing is that when I first started working with clients, there was kind of an alchemy that clients didn't understand, you know, Polaroids and test shots and all this sort of stuff and then developing and, and you'd shoot your film and it'd go off to be developed and be back three days later and, and then all of a sudden the stuff would appear and there was kind of a magic to it. But with the advent of digital, kind of everyone has a camera or a phone or something and so the magic out of image making is kind of gone a little bit. Um, and the work that used to be done by the lab is now done by the photographer and, you know, behind the computer. So there's a lot more work. So I, sp I probably spend more work behind a computer than I do photographing, you know, just editing and post and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So digital, I think, has made work harder. Um, 
harder as in the fact that there's more more work yeah you're the you're the now the photographer and the lab um and also people's expectations are a lot more you know they've seen the image on the back of the camera so they think they're going to get it that day or whatever so yeah yeah but even though the work is more is there something beneficial about having that additional control over what the finished product yep. is like well, if you send it to a lab yep. it's kind of like well whatever they kind of send back is what it is yeah and and, and uh, when you shot film unless you unless you used filters or something like that you couldn't really you know kind of infuse your own style into an image it was just you know whatever the film stock was um, whatever creative filter you might have had or whatever so certainly digital has given you a much greater way of expressing kind of a personal idea or personal look or a feel or a style yeah without having to resort to a preset but yeah so it's much easier to kind of like if you can imagine it in your head you can put it onto a, a digital file really yeah. clever enough yeah but then you don't want to resort to manipulation and stuff you know often you know like um what I think might be my style is tends to be based around a mood which tends to be either achieved just through exposure. So I tend to find that I, my personal work, I tend to just make darker, which is purely just by underexposure and and um, maybe just a bit of colour grading. Yeah. And so when you're working on your own projects, do you ever find you get creatively stuck? Hell yeah. <laughs> and, and so what do you do? <laughs> Put it aside maybe. Put it aside. Um, usually I find if I get stuck, it's because my idea maybe not, may not be formed enough. So I often just tend to put it aside and just kind of sit on it and, you know, kind of let it kind of brew or whatever. Uh, and often, you know, often I get a lot of visual ideas or... Um, cues from from movies and 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 comics and other images or whatever can help just kind of push an idea forward or something maybe yeah mm. yeah right so there's a kind of range of things that are constantly ruminating and eventually one kind of bubbles yeah, to the surface yeah because often we'll go to a movie you know Robbie and I'll be watching tv or go to a movie and I go oh look how they lit that Look how that light in the background is working with that figure in the foreground. <laughs> She's going, shut up, I'm watching the movie. <laughs> okay, I'll take notes. <laughs> yeah, so all that sort of... So whenever, you know, you, you're watching TV or, re, you know, movies or looking at pictures, you're always kind of analysing things and how that can be incorporated into your own work and stuff. Yeah, mm. yeah. And the process of... So you've taken heaps of images and, you, like... The lockdown series, for instance, you you took heaps of images over that time, um, and then you put them together in a show at Ramp Gallery. Yeah. What is the process of picking which images belong? Which images images get printed? Yeah. How big? Like, how do you deal with that? Not very well. Um, I find the editing really hard because you become you become so involved or attached to the images, you kind of 
tend to lose after what, what I, for me I tend to lose sight of what made the image good in the first place so I often rely on other people to kind of remind me of what so if I can show it to someone who's never seen the image before that'll often remind me of hopefully that will remind me of what I originally liked the about the image in the first place because when when you live with an image for so long or for a certain period of time and you go back to it and, and away from it back to it again it kind of doesn't lose its appeal but it kind of it becomes familiar whereas, whereas when you took the image initially it was unfamiliar and so I generally need help when it comes to editing um, I find it really hard to select images you know I, I like the cornfield like that was a no-brainer because I just for whatever reason I really liked that image so I knew that had to be big but so many of the others because I think I had 20 works in that show and I think out of that that whole series there would have been 150 200 images maybe right. so selecting out of there and there were some that I just didn't like anyway but you know kind of like why this one and not that one um, you know you just got to I find it really difficult is there a story and, that you're trying to tell through it um, no, I think with the big images that I had in the in the in the main gallery at Ramp, the idea for those four, so the walls are quite big. So I I just put one image on each wall because it was again about that stillness and that space. So I wanted to convey that. So that was really important for that space. So those images had to specifically say that to me, and they had to have that space in that room. So there was there was a kind of a story or a narrative or a way that that was um, placed like it was. The the smaller gallery was just almost like, not retrospective, but, you know, it was just a, a retrospective of the whole kind of month or whatever it was. So it was just a series of images that I liked that kind of just showed what my lockdown was like over that process. But the main gallery certainly had to have a specific reason for those images to be there, and that was just kind of highlight that silence and that space and that landscape. Yeah, mm. and I think that kind of worked for me. But no, I find editing really hard. It's interesting, these phases, as a creative people, that we often have to move between, isn't it? The, the, you know, you talked about the spontaneity of those, that original image taking. That's quite a different kind of thought process or overall process compared to, you know, say, the editing. And, yeah. Um, any, any, I suppose any computer work you might do and then picking the images, deciding what size, how they're going to hang. It's yeah, and I think when it comes to, like talking about the spontaneity of those images, when it comes to editing or working with them on the computer, it had to have that as well. There, was no, there wasn't a lot of thought on how I could change this to say something else or look differently. It just had to be, you know, they couldn't, there wasn't a lot, of, a lot of work put in that the back end of those images because they were spontaneous so right. they didn't but I think working like that those sort of images don't need work anyway because that's what they're about right but you, you make an intentional creative yeah. choice there compared to say yeah. you know something like the fabric works which might yeah. be yeah yeah and the Dylan stuff and, mm. and that sort of stuff mm. yeah yeah so yeah that that work in itself kind of lends to you know not having to do anything too much on the back end. Yeah, because I guess that's the danger as well of digital is that it's. It seems to me that it's very easy to overwork stuff. Yeah. And and then you something in the image can kind of die. I think. If you, yeah. You kind so, of... 
for me, it's really important, like, with that Dylan series, that was all shot digitally. And like I say, it's really easy to overwork. But I, with each one of those um, portraits, I knew what the end product, I had a, I had the end product in my mind and I knew when I'd got to that point. So if you don't have that kind of idea as to where the, what the image is going to look like, it's so easy just to keep going and going and going and going. Then you're going round and round and end up with porridge in the end, really. Mm. It's just, yeah. We're coming up to the end of the time, but I have um, one more question for you. Just wondering, is, what, what's next for you? What, is there a next big project that you're going to be working on? Um, no, not at, uh, no, not at the moment. But I've got Christmas coming up, so you know that's kind of. But a few a few years ago, before I met Robbie, and and then we'd got into the mortgage and all that sort of stuff, I would always go away for a month every year, and I'd travel overseas. Um, <clears throat> again, I would go. I would go somewhere that would take me out of my comfort zone, um, and put me into situations that were totally unfamiliar or, or, or something I was, you know, unsure about. And then that would always give me a project at the end to work on, but I kind of don't have them, uh, you know, now I'm a responsible adult. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that anymore. But no, I've got nothing really planned at the moment. Um, but Christmas and a break is coming up. So, But the problem is with Christmas and the break, it's the worst time of year to photograph for me because the light's too bright. I just love this. I love the autumn and the winter because the light is nice. It's kind of, it just, it just suits my aesthetic more where summer is too sunshiny and blue skies and <laughs> happy and bright and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's kind not of, miserable it's, enough. It's not miserable <laughs> enough for me, yeah. So I find it hard creatively to do stuff in summer. Yeah, I'm not inspired in the summer. It's the time to relax. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's a bit sad. So I don't look forward to summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like getting up in the morning and looking out my window and it's bleak and miserable. I thought, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Image making. Um, and so the best place for people to find out more about your work is your website and Instagram? Instagram, maham1160. And the exhibition is on at the Nancy Cager Gallery in the meteor from the 1st of November. 1st of November, so opening at 2.30. Anyone's welcome to come along. Yep, cool. Cool. Thanks heaps for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Awesome. It's been fun. Thank you for joining us. This show has been broadcast on Free FM 89.0 and is brought to you by Creative Waikato. Have a great day. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.